think a person of faith is? Okay, somebody that believes Jesus died for them. Follower of Jesus. Trust in things unseen. Even during the tough times, God's got you. Yeah. What else? Steve. Okay, person whose walk is based on their faith in God. Okay? Good ideas? Any others before we move on? Wikipedia, of course, the source of all knowledge, right? Never gets anything wrong. Um, Wikipedia defines a person of faith this way. It says, a person of faith, plural would be people of faith, refers to any person who can be delineated or classified as an adherence to a religious tradition or doctrine as opposed to those who do not publicly identify or in any way espouse a religious path. Okay? That is the way the world would define a person of faith. And that's not a terrible definition. We don't necessarily like the word religion, okay? Uh, because we believe that Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. And you are in relationship with the creator of the world through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for your sins on the cross. Um, so we talk about Christianity being a relationship and having put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we have a relationship with the Father through the Son, Okay, so we, we live in light of what Scripture teaches us. This morning, we are going to consider a lady from the Old Testament who was an influential individual. She was used by God to mold the three children that God entrusted to her. Now, we often judge a mother's work by how her children turn out, right? Would you agree with that statement? A lot of people judge a mother by the way their children turn out. I've had moms say to me, I'm thankful that my kids are all faithfully serving the Lord. And to that we say, praise the Lord. We say, amen. Uh, well done. It's, it's the responsibility of both moms and dads to train up their children in a way that would encourage them and cause them to live in a godly way to make them productive members of the world in which we live. And by productive, we don't mean people who make a lot of money. We mean people who make a difference eternally in the lives of others. Okay, So a, a mom whose children are faithfully serving the Lord, we often consider them faithful moms, godly moms. This lady that we're going to look at this morning, her three children grew up to serve the Lord and to be used by him in a mighty way. We tend to think most of her youngest son, but all three of them were instrumental in shaping a nation to follow Jehovah, to love Jehovah, and to serve Jehovah. In fact, an interesting thing is this lady's name means glory of Jehovah. Okay, anybody, anybody going to say, hey, I know who that is? Probably not, unless you speak Hebrew, okay? Um, so her name means glory of Jehovah. It's safe to say that all three of her kids, two sons and a daughter, bought, brought glory to God, to Jehovah, in the way they lived their lives. Best I can tell, the name of this lady is only mentioned twice in Scripture. We find her once in the book of Exodus, and we find her once in the book of Numbers. So now your mind should be ticking. You should be thinking, okay, I know who this is, okay? Um, one of them, uh, okay, although her name is only used twice, we find her referenced a number of times in Scripture. Now, we're going to take a look at the places where her name is not mentioned Specifically, that's going to be our text this morning. But in the book of Hebrews, her name is mentioned as one of those members of the Hall of Faith. Okay, this lady, uh, and again, not mentioned by name there. Um, 
So Mark's on his way to Hebrews 11, but he's not going to find much help there. Um, so anyway, I want to ask you a question. Well, here, let me read a, qu- a quote from you from a guy by the name of Alexander White. He was contemplating on her name when he wrote this thought-provoking spe- speculation on how she got her name. He says, it is very tantalizing to be told her remarkable name and to be, old, and to be told no more. Was God the glory, God thy glory, the remarkable name that her son gave to his mother as he often looked back on all that he owed to her and the impact she had in his life and as often as he rose up and called her blessed? Or was her very remarkable name her own invention? Was her striking name her own seal that she had set to her own vow, which she made to her own God after some great grace and goodness to her God? Or again, did the angel of the Lord visit that daughter of the house of Levi and so name her as the sun rose upon her prayer? Any ideas? Don't have it yet. Well, we all know that Abraham is the father of the Israelite nation. But this mother gave birth to the three that would, that would very well, we could very well call the first family of Israel. Or at least the, the first family of the Exodus. By now you probably figured out that we are talking about the mother of Moses. Okay, the mother of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Can anyone tell me the name of Moses' mother. Now, before you shout out the answer, let me tell you that I have a chocolate bar here for the mom who can tell me the mother of Moses. Who's got it? Nobody. Vicky. Jacobet. All right. Very good. Now, Vicky gets the first one. Now, these are, these are fine German chocolates, okay? Mark, tell us where they came from. Must be Aldi. All right. Um, so, we have the name of Moses' mother. It's Jochebed. Now, obviously, I have two more chocolate bars here. I'm going to ask you to go out on a limb. Who can spell the name Jochebed? Again, mom's got another chocolate bar for you. It doesn't hurt to try, right? Nope. Still got a chocolate bar. <laughs> you got to be able to spell it, though. Come on, just to, somebody's got to take a try, right? Don? Close. No. Okay, let's, let, let me remind you what the name means. Glory to Jehovah. Okay? So if you think about Jehovah, you know that it's going to start with a J. Jehovah. Okay? So um, Yahweh. Jehovah, and, and if we had some fun the other night, I was, look, I was looking up how to, how to actually pronounce her name, and you know what? Google doesn't know everything, okay? Because if you, if you Google how to pronounce Jochebed, you're going to get several different options, such as Yolkaved, not sure how they came up with that one, Yolkaved, okay, or Jochebed. Anybody else want to try now how to spell the name? Karen? J-E-C-Q-O-B-E? Nope. Cindy? J-O-C-A-B-E-D? You're leaving out a very important letter. What'd you say? Very close. All right. I'm going to take one of these chocolate bars home, I guess. J-O-C-H-E-B-E-D. Jochebed. Okay. 
All right, I'm not taking any of these home um, unless I give one to my wife. All right, J-O-C-H-B-E-D, if you know how to spell it. And in case you're wondering, take your copy of the scriptures this morning. Uh, We're going to look quickly at Numbers chapter 26 and verse 59. Numbers 26, 59. Says the name of... You've got you to be thankful that we're not living in the Old Testament, okay? Here's, here's the name of Moses' father. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam. Now, lest you think too hard about that and say, there's some funny business going on there between those two people. Uh, you're right. It would appear that Amram married his cousin. Okay? But it does say that they, were, they, were, they did this in Egypt, okay? um, not someplace else closer to where we might find ourselves today. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, and she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam. So we know her name, but let's see what we can learn from this woman of faith. Would you stand with me together? We're going to read from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It is up on the screen, so read together with me if you would, please. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife of the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then... The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Let's ask God to bless our time together this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ, as individuals who want to hear from you today. We thank you for your word that you have preserved for us down through the ages. Thank you for the examples that we find in your word of people who lived by faith. This morning we're going to study Jochebed and we're going to see how she was indeed a woman of faith. But help us to do more than just study and learn about this lady named Jochebed. Help us to put into practice the principles that she used in her life to be an individual of faith. Help us to be individuals who live by faith and walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Father, for the blessing that you will pour out upon us because we've spent time looking into your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So, Jochebed, all right. This is a name that, uh, aren't you glad, moms, that that's not your name? We know you're glad because none of you could spell it. <laughs> All right? Um, my, my uncle had a friend one time, um, and his name was Jimmy Olenichek. He went to kindergarten, and his kindergarten teacher asked him to spell his last name, and he couldn't spell his last name. So the teacher sent him home and told his parents, don't send him back until he can spell his last name. 
So his parents asked the teacher, can you spell his last name? And they said no. And then they said, maybe you should go home till you can spell his last name. Anyway, um, <laughs> Olenichek, how would you like that? But anyway, Jochebed is the name of the lady that we're going to look at, this person of faith. And in verses 1 through 3, we just read them. We see that Jochebed is a representation of faith. Now, before we go too far into this, we have to ask the question, right? If you're a person of faith, what is faith? Now again, I'm looking for a lady to give me a definition, and not just a definition, I'm looking for you to give me our definition that we like to use here at Calvary Baptist Church for faith. What is faith? And you're wondering, why is there so many lines up there? Well, it's because we're looking for the definition. I don't want you to read it to me. I want you to tell it to me, okay? What is faith? Don. Okay, pretty close. I'll put this on, on hold for you. Um, very close. Anybody else want to give it a shot? My wife, she's going to get a candy bar anyway. What is it? She does count. Okay. All right. I will give the candy bar to Dawn. All right. So here you go, Don, you get to choose. It's uh, caramel brownie cream or alpine milk chocolate. Uh, let's see, the one that's not the, the gourmet brownie. All right, very good. So faith is believing that God is able to do what he says he will do and ordering my life accordingly. So if you are a person of faith, then what do you do? You pray. You order your life accordingly, but you have to read God's word to figure out what that is, okay? Maybe I'll let you guys split this one. Um, so anyway, if you are a person of faith, you are obedient to the pages of Scripture. You're obedient to God's word because that is how God communicates to us what he wants to do. Jochebed was a person who believed God, was able to do what he said he would do, and ordered her life accordingly. Now, that begs another question, though, doesn't it? How did Amram and Jochebed exercise faith? Well, to answer that question, we have to uh, have a bit of an idea of what is going on in the world when Moses was born. Now, Moses is the baby in the family, okay? He's the last one to be born to Amram and Jochebed. So what was going on when Moses was born? Well, Pharaoh had issued a decree that all the Hebrew boy babies were to be thrown into the river at birth. Exodus chapter 1 verse 22 tells us about that decree. Why did he issue such a decree? Well, you see, the Israelite people were, you know, they were living in bondage in Egypt, but they were, you know, marrying and they were having babies and they were growing. And you know why they were growing? Because God said he was going to make them what? A great nation. Even in captivity, he was keeping his word. He was making them a great nation. So Pharaoh looks out one day and he sees all of the things that the Hebrew people are doing, all of the building, all of the uh, involvement that they have in the Egyptian society. And he looks out and he sees this massive amount of people and he begins to get worried. He begins to say, man, if something were to happen and they were to turn against us, we would be in trouble. So in order to curb the population, we're going to kill all the boy babies. <laughs> you, know, you could do either one or the other, but since it was a male-oriented society, they decided that they would kill the boy babies. Because you've got to have a man and you've got to have a woman in order to have a baby, right? You can't have them if you have two men and two women. They can't make one. And if you have any questions about that, talk to your mom, Okay. But listen to me. God knew what he was doing when he made Adam and Eve. He made them different so that they could continue to carry on the command of populating the world. All right? So 
Pharaoh looks out and he says, man, he says, we got to get rid of these boys. We got to kill these boys because that will stop the population growth of the Hebrew people. So he said to the midwives, the the people who were helping the the Hebrew women give birth, and I'm not even going to try and tell you what their names are. They're in scripture. But anyway, um, he says, listen to me. When these Hebrew women are starting to give birth and, and the baby crowns and you see that it's a boy, you'll kill it. Later on, there's a little more specifics. It says, you throw that baby in the river. So you take it from the mother, you find out it's a boy, and you take it to the Nile, and you throw it in the Nile. Well, babies don't swim, okay? So you throw the baby in the Nile, the baby is going to drown. Amram and Jochebed knew that that was against God's decree. That was contrary to God's purpose for man and woman. We find in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, right at the very beginning when God presents Eve to Adam, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God didn't say, choose your children, keep the ones you want, get rid of the ones you don't want. He didn't say, if you don't want one and you find out that you're pregnant, you go ahead and you kill the baby. He didn't say that. God expects us to populate the earth, and when we find out we're going to have a baby, we take care of the baby, we care for the baby, we do everything we can to have a healthy baby, and, and we raise them in the way that God would have us to raise them. To do anything contrary is sinful. And we can't expect God to bless that. Now, most of us that, have, um, uh, that, are, that, that are breathing breath today know that something very significant happened this past week, right? The, there was a leaked document from SCOTUS, the Supreme Court, and it said that there's a very real possibility the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe versus Wade. I say hallelujah. Because that is a scourge on American culture. The number of babies that have been put to death, and legally so, is awful. And we cannot expect God to approve of that or bless that. We're not going to get into a big political discussion. Um, suffice it to say, Amram and Jochebed were pro-life. Okay? They did what they could do to make sure that their baby did not end up dead at the bottom of the Nile River. God's judgment on Cain in Genesis chapter 4 for killing his brother Abel is evidence that God does not approve of killing another human being especially murder. When we get to Genesis chapter 9, we see God institutes the death penalty for murder. He says, whoever sheds, blood, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You see, even today in 2022, a baby in the womb is an image bearer of God. And to take that baby's life is wrong. It is. And so we need to take a page from Amram and Jochebed. Don't, don't want their names, but we'll take a page from their book that says we must do what we can to protect life from the very beginning, and the beginning is conception. It is clear to see that God places the highest value on human life, and to kill a baby in God's eyes is a sin. So Pharaoh was committing great sin in those days. That's the days, that's the time when Moses was born. And Jochebed and Amram took the, the, the most significant steps they could take in order to preserve the life of their baby Moses. Their actions were actions of faith. And you say, Pastor, how do you know that they were actions of faith? Well, Mark, did you find that passage in Hebrews chapter 11? In verse 23, it says, By faith... When Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. You see, the writer of Hebrews shares some information with us that we do not get from the Old Testament account of Moses' birth. 
It shares what they did. They did in faith. They acted in faith. What prompted their actions of faith? Well, they saw he was a beautiful child. Now, the word beautiful here is probably better understood as good or goodly. It doesn't mean pretty or handsome, okay? It means somebody who is good or goodly. It means, in fact, well-pleasing, fruitful, morally correct, proper. Now, I'm not sure about you, but every time a child was born into the Mowers household, we looked at that child and we thought, man, what a beautiful little child. That's all we knew. That was our opinion. Okay, We didn't know what they were going to turn out to be. I think there must have been some communication from God to Jochebed and Amram about their child Moses. They knew he was a goodly child. They knew that God was going to use him in a mighty way. Something that the Lord communicated to them in some way or another that this child was a special child and God was going to use them in a mighty way. So we understand that Jochebed is a representation of faith. As we move on in our text this morning, we see that Jochebed had a resolute faith. She had a resolute faith. In other words, that faith was firm, it was steady, it was planted, it wasn't going anywhere. We know that's true because God says so in the scriptures, in Hebrews. But just what was her faith like? Well, in Exodus chapter 2, our text for this morning, we understand what she did, how she ordered her life accordingly to show and demonstrate her faith. So go to Exodus chapter 2 if you have not done that yet. Exodus chapter 2, the first 10 verses of the book of Exodus. You know what Exodus is all about, right? It's all about Israel leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. So we have right off in the beginning of the book the man who God is going to use to lead them from Egypt to the promised land. Now, unfortunately, he didn't get to go into the promised land, but he led them to the doorstep of the promised land. So Jochebed, this woman of faith, based on her conviction and based on the conviction of her husband, we understand they believed he was a special child. And because of that, they took action. And this is an important thing about faith. Faith actually calls us to be people of action. Faith requires us to be people of action, to be people who do things to show that we are ordering our lives. What did Jochebed do? What did she and her husband do? Well, I've got one word for each thing here on the list, and they're all, uh, they all need some explanation, okay? So first of all, we have the word boat, all right, boat. Scripture says she took an ark of bulrushes for him. The word we normally think of when we see that word ark there is we think of a basket, okay? Literally, it's the word used for ark. It was a floating device that carried a most precious cargo in this case, okay? It's the same word for the device that Moses made in the desert to save humanity and the rest of creation, Obviously, much different in size, a personal ark for Moses versus a massive ark to save Noah and his family, okay, and all of the animals, two of each one. So, different in size, but you know what? They both serve the same purpose, to preserve life, to preserve nations. That's what God used It was an ark. We see that she daubed it with asphalt and pitch. She bathed this thing in waterproofing material. Every time I get a new pair of shoes, you know what I do? I take the shoelaces out, I take them downstairs, and I spray them with waterproofer. Even before I worked at Olympia, I did that. Because if you know me at all, you know I'm cheap. And I don't like to buy shoes more often than I have to. 
So my goal was to waterproof those shoes and, and, and so I could wash them easily and I could clean the dirt off of them. And then I get this job at Olympia and one of my jobs is to upsell the sh- in the shoe department, okay? I'm supposed to sell people soft sole material that's waterproofer and, and uh, shoe shampoo and all this kind of stuff. So it was easy for me to sell this waterproofer because I've been using it for years. But you know what? I learned other things about this waterproofer. Not only is it good for your shoes, but in the winter, it's good for your boots. But you know what? Have you ever gone out in the winter and sloshed around on the streets, walking down the sidewalk, and come home and your pants dry out and they have this white line on the bottom of your pants? That's salt. You know what salt does to shoes and to other material? Eats it away. So I told people when they bought their Nike pants or their Adidas pants or whatever, and they were trying on their shoes... You know what? Spray your shoes, but spray the bottom of your pants too. Why would I do that? Well, it protects them. It preserves them. And plus, I got credit for upsells. But anyway, um, so she bathed this stuff just like I did with my shoes. She bathed this basket, this ark with pitch, asphalt, inside and out. You know what she did? She took all the precautions she could take to make sure her little baby was going to be as safe as possible as he floated in the Nile River. Now, let's think about that for a moment. The Nile River. Where is the Nile? Egypt. And if we take a bigger view of the Nile, where is the Nile? Africa. Okay? The Nile is in Africa. Now, you're going to put an ark a boat with a baby in a river in Africa. You know what other kind of things are in the rivers in Africa? It's not a nice place. Okay, the, the Nile is a dangerous river. Think about it. There are many dangers there that a three-month-old baby may encounter while floating in a hand-woven basket. I found this article about the dangers that one may encounter on the Nile River. It says, there are many dangers to be found in the Nile. There are deadly snakes. Okay. There are deadly spiders. Now, you and I both know that it doesn't take much of a space for a spider to get into a place that you don't want it to get into. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that if the snake wrapped itself around the basket and squeezed tight enough, you know what would happen? The lid would pop off, and it could get inside the basket. Okay? Not only are there dangerous spiders and snakes, but there are also, according to the article, huge, aggressive animals. Anybody got any animals that you might come in contact with in the Nile? Hippopotamuses, or hippopotami. Okay? Now, you know what they tell you? about hippopotamus. We, we've seen them. We went to game reserves before and, and in their natural habitat. And the warning that they always gave to us when we went to these kind of game parks is what? Don't? Don't get between a hippo and its water supply. Guess what the Nile is? The water supply. Don't get around the hippo if, you're, if the hippo is around the Nile. And you know what? Hippos, as big as they are, they can move pretty fast if you get between them and their water supply, okay? And when you get between them and their water supply, often it's not a happy outcome, at least for the person who's not the hippo, okay? The hippo can do great damage to an individual. Can you imagine a three-month-old baby in a little basket found by a hippo? Also said crocodiles. We've seen those up close and in person, okay? Crocodiles, a little different than an alligator, okay? In fact, people will tell you that an alligator is fairly docile compared to a crocodile. Another difference between an alligator and a crocodile is that crocodiles have their teeth face inward, where crocodiles' teeth mainly go up and down. A crocodile's teeth face inward so that when something gets inside the jaw of the crocodile, guess what happens when you try to pull it out? It's pulling against the teeth and it isn't going to come out. Okay? Crocodiles are deadly. 
and very quick, much quicker than an alligator in the response of the, the whole body and the mouth and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so you imagine Jochebed taking her three-month-old baby in a basket and doing what with it? Putting it in the Nile River. Wow. Well, what was the alternative? Throwing it in the Nile River without a basket. That really was, the, that, was what the, that was what Pharaoh said had to be done. So we understand that this idea, she took all the precautions she could take to make it safe for her little baby. Let's talk about what she put on it for a moment. The word asphalt was not what we think of when we think of asphalt. We think of road, uh, when they make a road, okay, they put asphalt down. It's not like road or road tar. It rather was the mud of the Nile itself. That's what it was. James and Fawcett and Brown describe it this way. The mud of the Nile, which when hardened, is very tenacious. Okay? So she coated this thing with the mud from the Nile River, and she let it bake in the sunshine, and it became very hard, very protective. The pitch was very common for the boats in those days. Moses used it on the ark. Okay? It's a mineral tar that is perfectly watertight unless the coating is forced off by stormy weather. So she did everything she could do to make it safe for baby Moses to be inside that ark. Now, the next letter, B, is baby. What did she do? She put the baby in the ark. She made it baby-sized boat for her three-month-old child, and she placed him in that basket or the ark. Can you imagine what was going through her mind and her heart when she stepped out into the Nile and set that basket down there? I can't help but imagine she offered a very appropriate prayer as she placed her baby in the Nile River. Something like, God, please. God, please keep my boy safe. God, I don't know what else to do, but I know that I can trust him to you. And so that's what she did. She trusted her child to the Nile, but more importantly, she trusted her child to her great God. She firmly believed that she was doing what God wanted her to do, but that didn't make it any easier, did it? You notice that she didn't really have a choice because the scripture says, she kept the child until she couldn't keep him any longer because everybody would hear. You know what a three-month-old does, right? When it's hungry, what does it do? It cries. When it's happy, what does it do sometimes? It squeals. It might even cry. That's it, what they do at three months old because they, anytime they need something or want something from their mommy, that's what they do. She could not keep the child quiet, so she had to come up with a plan. She trusted her baby to the Nile. You know, she didn't have any choice. It's like uh, a mother when her son or soldier goes off to war. You don't want him to go. You don't want her to go off to war, but you don't have a choice. That's what they signed up for. So you trust them to their commander, but more importantly, you trust them to their God. And in Moses' case, Jochebed was trusting Moses to her God. Just like we trust our children to our God when we send them off into the world to be on their own. It's sort of like watching your child walk through the safety check port at the airport when they're going away for a long time, to maybe even to a foreign place. And the last thing you do is you turn, they turn around and you turn around, you wave, and, and they're gone. Barb's dad used to say, I'm not so sure I like this email stuff. Because when we first went to Africa, we sent letters. It took about 10 days to get from Cape Town to Illinois. He said, by the time I got your letter, I figured you probably already sorted out whatever the problem was. But with email, we get it in a matter of minutes, and we got to see if there's some way we can help to solve the problem. That's just the way moms and dads are, right? They want to solve the problems that their kids might be facing. You know, it's, it's tough. Jochebed places this basket in the Nile River, and she's saying, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what's going to happen to you, but God, please, do what only you can do. 
Take care of my baby if you would. We need to do that. We need to act in faith. We need to trust our kids to God, train them the best we can, do the most we can when we have them, and then trust them to our great God. The next word is believed. She laid it in the reeds by the river. Can we just agree that no matter how well you built the little ark, you were going to put your baby in? No matter how confident you were in that structure, can we agree that putting putting him in the basket, putting the lid on the basket, and putting the basket in the river must have been the hardest thing Jochebed ever did in her life? Can we agree with that? Hard as it was, you know what? She did it. Because that was her option. She did it. She believed that God would take care of Moses. She trusted her God. And then we have a bulwark. A bulwark. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, as his sister Miriam stood afar off to know what will be done. Know this. This was not because she lacked faith. Miriam wasn't standing by because Jochebed lacked faith. This was not because she needed a backup plan. In fact, this was part of the plan. Her faith was firmly placed in her God. As Martin Luther put it in the great hymn of old, a bulwark never failing. This was part of her acting out her faith. There was proof of her faith. Remember what James says in James chapter 2, verse 18? But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. When Jochebed took that basket down to the Nile and she set that basket in the Nile, she was showing her faith by her works. She was trusting her God to care for, deliver, provide somebody to find her baby and care for her baby uh, for all of his days. She was acting out her faith. She believed God would do something that would take a miracle. And guess what? Miriam was there to take the next step, to help provide the next step. She would be there to suggest a Hebrew lady to nurse him. And let me add that there was nothing that was going to move Miriam or Jochebed from their faith. They knew that faith was all they had. But you know what? Faith is really all we need. It's all they needed. It's all we need. So verses 8 and 9, we see that Jochebed had a resourceful faith. Her resourceful faith can be seen in the immediate outcome of her active faith. Her faith had an immediate impact on Moses' life. She put this little baby in the water, in the bushes, in the bowl, in the ark, and she trusted God to take care of Moses' life. And along comes who? Of all the people you might want to come along, it's Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, Pharaoh's daughter comes along and she pulls Moses out of the Nile. Actually, she sends her servants to pull him out. And guess what? Miriam just happens to be there. It was part of the plan. Have you ever thought about that? I've thought about it a little bit. Here's this Hebrew baby in a basket in the Nile River. She takes the baby out of the Nile takes the lid off and the baby starts to cry. And all of a sudden, this Hebrew girl shows up. Now, come on, Pharaoh's daughter's not stupid. In fact, she says, this must be one of the Hebrew children. So what do we have going on here? Pharaoh's daughter probably should have said, take him out of the basket and throw him in the river. Right? It's what her dad ordered. <laughs> You know what? God was at work in that girl's heart. God gave that girl compassion for the child in that basket. God had a plan for Moses. And this is Jochebed's faith being born out and God honoring the work she did for the faith that she had. The Hebrew girl, Miriam, says, hey, you know what? I just happen to know someone who could be the nursemaid for that child. 
Again, Pharaoh's daughter's not stupid. She probably could put two and two together and say, I'll bet you that girl is his sister, and she's going to go get his mother and, and bring her mother to be the nurse. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. But again, God is at work doing what? Honoring the faith of his people. When we have faith, God honors faith. God honors obedience. God honors the work that we do for his honor and for his glory. So Jochebed gets to raise her child. Jochebed gets to take her baby boy back home, and nobody can come and say, hey, what are you doing with that baby? Because Pharaoh's daughter gave the orders to go take care of that baby. You go nurse that baby. You go, ch- you go care for that baby. You do what's best for that baby. And you know what? Jochebed did exactly that. To the best of her ability, she provided all she could for her beautiful, goodly baby boy, who from a human perspective should not have even survived, but because of mama's faith, Moses was alive. We also see in our text that Jochebed was able to raise her son for the first probably three years of his life. Some may question how much a difference can be made in just three years. But you know what? Studies show us that those first three years of a baby's life are so instrumental in their upbringing in shaping them and forming them and making them into the person that God is going to turn them out to be. Studies show the initial months of a child's life are extremely formative. Who better to be formative in Moses' life than a woman of faith, Jochebed? Not only did Jochebed's faith have an immediate impact on Moses' life, but her faith influenced Moses' siblings as well. We see Miriam in Moses' story very early on. She was part of the plan, but she was completely obedient to her mom's plan. You know how kids are sometimes. Mom, really? You want me to go down to the Nile where the crocodiles are and stand watch? over this baby of ours? Come on, serious? Yes, dear, I'm serious. And Miriam did. She was obedient. She did exactly what she was told to do. What do we learn from this? Well, we learn that the faith of one or the faith of a mother, the faith of a parent can have a great influence on your children or on somebody else. We see both Miriam and Aaron remained faithful for the long haul. Now, they weren't perfect, right? We know that. We read through the book of Exodus, and we see that Aaron is the one who made the golden calf, but he also was the one God called to be the high priest. He was the one who set the tone spiritually for the nation. He was the one who helped Moses deliver the people of Israel from the nation of Egypt. He provided good counsel most of the time. And Miriam, we see her worshiping wholeheartedly after they crossed the Red Sea. In fact, it says she was dancing. And Miriam's song, we read about it, the horse and rider fell into the sea. She led the people of Israel in worship in a godly way. She provided godly counsel, godly insight for the women of Israel. Amram and Jochebed modeled faith for their children and that faith became their children's faith and their faith was something that their children began to live out. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, I don't think we can overstate the importance of modeling our faith for our kids. It's so very important that we model the faith that God has placed within our hearts to our children and to our grandchildren so they will see the love relationship that we have with our great God. Can I tell you that our kids watch what we do? They want to know. How long is this faith going to be real in your life, mom, dad? friend of mine, in fact, he came, gave his testimony here um, several years ago, came from South Africa. He came, he got saved, and he started coming to our church. And he said, Pastor, you need to pray for me because my kids are just watching for me, waiting for me to fail. They're just waiting to see how long this new stand is going to be. 
But Stan had a rough life. And he told us in his testimony, he was, he was not a nice person. He abused and used and all that kind of stuff. And so when his kids saw a change in his life, they're like, yeah, I wonder how long this will last. But when you have faith in the Son of God, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, yes, your kids are going to watch you. And as you grow in that faith, they're going to see that. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to trust that when they, fit, when they hit the difficult days in their lives, that they're going to see the faith that mom and dad had over the long haul, and they're going to want that faith. They're going to trust that faith. So mom and dad, keep modeling it. Grandma and grandpa, model it for the grandkids. Keep on modeling it right up until the day God calls you home. Because you know what? If you model that faith the way God has called you to model it, you know what you'll hear our Savior say? You know what you'll hear God say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You provide a great resource for your children when you model that faith over the long haul. You give your children and your grandchildren something that no one else can give them. A heritage of trusting God. Well, we're going to wrap things up with Jochebed's faith being rewarded. Jochebed's faith was rewarded. We see it in verse 10. And then we see it again in verses, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. Now, I've talked to many parents who tell me the greatest joy is to see their children carrying on faithfully, loving, and serving the Lord. So kids, can I tell you something? You want to give the greatest gift to your mom and dad? You know what that greatest gift is? is to live a life of godly service to the one true God. Be faithful to him. And and I'm going to let you in on something here. We see kids walking away from the faith all the time. Why? Partly because they never owned it really. You see your mom and dad model their love for God, their service for God. Mom and dad, if you're not doing it, you need to start. But, it, but when your kids see it, they see you own that faith and live that faith, and, and not just on Sundays, but every day of your life, they see you live it. God says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Doesn't, it's not a guarantee there. But as your children and our children see the faith of God being born out in your life, through the easy times, through the difficult times, they see your commitment to church, they're going to take note of that. And it's going to make a difference at some point in their life if they truly know Christ as their Savior. Many parents will tell you, man, I'm so thankful that my kids are living for the Lord. You're sending that message that Faith isn't just necessary when you're young, but it's necessary when you're old. There's great joy. In fact, you know what? This is a long time principle. Even the Apostle John talked about it in 3 John verse 4 where he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He was talking about spiritual children, but can I tell you this? There is no greater joy for a mom or a dad to see their physical, biological children, adopted children, whatever, Walk in faith, live in faith, love the Lord, and serve him with their life. It brings great joy, great enthusiasm, great hope, great fulfillment in seeing your children honor the Lord with their life. Now, again, we see an immediate outcome in the way of the rewards. She was paid to raise her child. (laughs) Isn't that kind of ironic? Pharaoh's daughter says, you go and you... Take care of this child. You nurse him, and I'll pay you your wages. In her house. house. Yeah, she didn't have to go to Pharaoh's house. She got the razor in in his own environment. The princess said, take this child, nurse him, do for him what a mother would do, and I'm going to pay you for that. She got paid to be the mother of the child God gave to her. How blessed is that? In this case, there are multiple blessings. Moses got to live. First off, First of all, Moses got to live. He should have died, but he got to live. Secondly, Jochebed got to nurse him. I don't know. I've never done that, obviously. Um, But they call call it bonding and and all that kind of stuff uh, that a mom and a a newborn child have to have. And it, it it just sets the right tone for the child. So Jochebed got to nurse him. She got to impart to him the blessing of being a Jewish child. 
She got to teach him how important it was to be a child of God, a Jewish child, a child of promise. And she, got, and she was paid to do what she would gladly have done for nothing. She would have done it because she was his mother, but she, got to be pay, she was able to be paid for it. In, faith, in the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, we see that Moses did not forget his heritage. Verse 24, it says that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Can I tell you this? Jochebed and Amram did not have visitation rights with Moses in the palace of Pharaoh. So what he got, he got in those first three years of his life. And scripture says he didn't forget it. He chose to be a son of God rather than a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 11 says that he chose to be mistreated as a follower of God rather than to take advantage of Egyptian royalty. Some might say, man, what is wrong with that guy? He had it all. And he, and he gave it all up to be mistreated as a Jewish person. Verse 26 speaks of his character. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews put it. He says, he considered the reproach, and, I, and that's interesting. He says, he considered the reproach of Christ. Not just God, but of Christ. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You know what? He was looking for the Messiah even back then. That's what Christ means. He chose to suffer the reproach of the Messiah as greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. What was he looking for? The promised land that God had promised. Deliverance from bondage, deliverance from Egypt. He had the promise of being part of what God used to make the reward become a reality. We have the privilege today of being used of God to help people be delivered from the bondage of sin. Moses was, delivered, was used to deliver them from the bondage of Egypt. You and I, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, friends, neighbors, co-workers, we have the privilege of helping people be delivered from the bondage of sin to freedom in Christ and eventually the promised land of heaven. God gives us freedom, and that freedom is greater than personal or political freedom that we count so dear to us. We count personal freedom very important, don't we? We love the fact that we have the opportunity to make a difference in our society by, by voting and all that kind of stuff. But those freedoms, very small, and compared to the eternal freedom of spending life in heaven, eternally in heaven with our great God. Listen, we need to be thankful and we need to be grateful for the freedom from sin that God has given to us and we want to pass that on as a heritage to our children. You see, a mother's ultimate purpose is to instill in her child the knowledge of faith in and love for God. That's what we do as parents. We want to instill a love for God into our children and for them to live by faith. Jochebed clearly did that for Moses and his siblings. She also modeled the kind of faith for as long as God allowed her to influence her children. You know, Jochebed is on the scene and then she's gone. We never hear from her again. But because of the way her children turned out, we can believe that she modeled that faith for them. We're not sure, we're not sure if she was blessed to see the reward of her children serving the Lord, leading her, children, leading her nation out of Egypt, but we know she is part of that faithful cloud of witnesses that have encouraged countless numbers of people down through the ages to live for the Lord and to go on for God. How do you know? You read Hebrews chapter 11 and then you read Hebrews chapter 12. It says, seeing we are encompassed by so great a cloud of witnesses. Hey, a cloud of witnesses. We want to be faithful like Jochebed was. My prayer, and it can be yours too, is that we will live our lives in faith before our children and before our grandchildren. We'll live like Jochebed did and we will see God's blessing and we'll see that God is honored by the faith that we live for our children to see. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We do thank you for our moms. We thank you for all that they do for us. I mean, any mom, most moms anyway, will do all that they can for their children. It's the rare exception for a mom not to care for her children. And even unsaved moms do the best they can. 
But Father, what a blessing it is when we know Christ as our Savior. We have the opportunity to live out our love for you, our relationship with you in front of them, and hopefully impart that to them as well. What a joy it is for a mom or a dad to be able to lead their child to Christ or a grandma or a grandpa to lead their grandchildren to Christ, to live out God before them in a way that they will want that same kind of a relationship. So Father, we thank you for those who are actively doing that. We ask your blessing, Lord, upon them. We ask, Lord, that you will encourage our moms today, uh, help them to know that we love them, help us to tell them that we love them, and help us to appreciate them for who they are and the blessings that you have given to us through them. Father, we thank you for the times we'll spend with our moms today or the phone calls we'll make or uh, however contact we'll be able to uh, reach out to them. And Father, we ask that you help us to remain faithful like Jochebed and Amram were to the calling of raising children in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.